0: second song is one of the songs that I turn to oftentimes right now. And uh, being 100% honest, I deal with fear on a daily basis. I dealt with fear on the way here because I didn't know if I was going to do good or not. (laughs) But that second song... Fear comes from different things. It comes from the lack of of peace. It comes from being in a place of orphanship. It comes from a place of being feeling like you don't have something to turn to, like you're lost most of the time. But the thing is, is that our Father in heaven gives us all the things that we need to conquer fear. He gives us love that's unconditional He gives us peace beyond all understanding and He gives us joy that knows no bounds of fear my pinky is going up I don't know what that is I experienced that a couple weeks ago and it was the Holy Spirit I know what it is. It's Holy Spirit. His presence is so thick in this place right now. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, man. God's so good. Spirit of fear has no place in here. Spirit of fear has no place in this in this building, in this family. It doesn't have any place in you. It doesn't have any place in your life. It doesn't have room to grow it doesn't have room to fester it doesn't have room to take up any any space because the goodness of God the joy of the Lord the peace that he gives you already takes up all that space that fear is trying to take don't let it have its ground there's a tag in the second song that says goodbye fear goodbye guilt goodbye shame on that this morning. Goodbye fear, goodbye guilt, goodbye shame. There's no place for those three things here. There's no place for those three things inside of you. Because God's taken those things and he has completely and utterly destroyed them. He's put them away. When he died on the cross, he took those things and he said, let me take those because those don't need to be on you. You can't handle those, but I can. God, thank you for giving us a sound mind, not a spirit of fear. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love that is on the inside of us, for your joy that's on the inside of us, that we don't have to be in a place where we are fearful, where we let guilt, where we let shame control our motive for controlling our, the way that we move about things, God. We pray that we do not let fear, we don't let shame, we don't let guilt control us anymore. Instead, we move with your heart, we move with your mind, God. We move with your presence, where your presence is drawing us, where your presence is leading us to, God. We follow that and we don't follow fear, we don't have a spirit of fear so therefore we can't follow it in Jesus name in Jesus name just take a deep breath in, breathe in his presence, breathe in the joy of the Lord this morning (laughs) breathe in his love and bring it deep into your lungs just feel it and then begin to breathe it out Breathe out the fear, breathe out the gain, the, 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 guilt, the shame. Breathe it out, push everything out. And just continue to breathe in His joy, in His love this morning. In Jesus name, amen. Y'all give it up for our worship team, please. Man, God's good, isn't He? Amen. I'm moving down to the floor. (laughs) Sorry, guys. All right, well, how is everybody this morning? Awesome, fantastic. Thank you, Cash. That'll work right here. Perfect. Thank you, buddy. Man, our worship team is so good. And the gal that was standing right here is pretty good looking, I think. That's my wife, for those of you who don't know. If this is your first time here, I'm not just hitting on the random people on worship team. Just so you know. Um, <laughs> thank you. <clears throat> well, uh, this morning, we have some very special faces in this house. Um, Mom already went over them this morning, but I want to uh, welcome them again. We have the Hartwig family if y'all don't know the Hartwig family, they are a very near and dear and essential part of who we are at N3C. We love them. I love you too, Miss Stacy. We love them so much. They are, uh, I don't even know how to put words to your guys' family. They're just a blessing. That's the long and the short of it, is that y'all are a blessing to us. Even whenever your couple stays over, you guys are a blessing to us. Um, another family that I want to... Point out is the Hiltons here this morning? Josh, Keisha, Pekis, Peyton, and Priscilla's in the back, I would assume. <clears throat> uh, whenever I moved down to Texas, I interned under Jack Lawson, their worship leader de- there at DCC. And while I was interning, Josh and Keisha gave me a job while I was there. Um, I was their feed hand. I was feeding bulls for them most every morning and most every night, just about, and. They were a blessing to me whenever I moved to Texas. They kind of took me under their wing and they made my time in Texas. I told them in the back, I said, you made it bearable. You kept my sanity during that time because I was away from my mom and dad. I was away from uh, Lacey. And it was kind of one of those things where you're in an unfamiliar place and you just kind of are trying to get the feel of things. And Josh and Keisha helped me get the feel of things down there and they welcomed me into their family. I think of them as... An older brother and sister, and I think of their kids as my siblings too, because, I mean, they pick on me like siblings. You, you wouldn't think, Pecos, how old were you at the time? Six, whenever I was there? Six or seven? Seven? Right around there? You wouldn't think a seven year old could pick on an eighteen, nineteen year old? Let me tell you, Pecus could do it. He could he could figure out some, some good little jabs in there every now and again. We were talking about in the back. Um, I I don't dress like they do down in Texas. They wear starch jeans, starch shirts, cowboy hats, boots. Of course I wear that every now and again, not very often, but my daily attire was usually skinny jeans. Well Pecus asked Josh one day, he goes, Dad, why does Rhett wear girl pants? <laughs> and Josh had to explain to him, well, that's just how Rhett dresses. <laughs> he wears girl clothes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <clears throat> Josh had to explain to him, that's just where Rhett comes from, that's how people dress. And Pecos still would give me crap for it all the time. <laughs> He'd say, Rhett wears girl pants. And it has been a awesome deterrent from hard conversations, why bulls do what they do down on the ranch. <laughs> but hey, you know, it's... it. it They they were a blessing to me, and thank you guys for being here this morning. They walked in, Priscilla, their youngest daughter, she ran up and gave me a hug, the first thing she did whenever she went to the back, and it made me misty-eyed. Their kids are a blessing to me, they're a blessing to me. So thank you all for being here this morning. Alright, well, uh, first thing, I guess that's not the first thing. Next important order of business is I want to bring honor to mom and dad for, uh, allowing me to be here this morning and to be in this place of, uh, the pulpit that they built because what they, what they've built is a special thing. And I am just incredibly honored to stand on the foundation that they've built for me and the place that they have laid out for all the speakers that come here. I'm just incredibly thankful for you guys giving me the opportunity to be here and for keep asking me to come back because that means that I must be doing something, right? (laughs) I'm doing okay is what he says. But yeah, thank you guys so much for allowing me to be here. So please bring honor to your pastors this morning, please. Excuse me. So let's go ahead and just jump right into it this morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Rhett Gleghorn. Um, thank you all so much for being here this morning. We know that y'all could have been a whole lot of different places, most likely sleeping in in a nice warm bed or hopefully have the fan on cooling you off if it's too warm. Or you could be out on the lake, whichever one you chose to do. Uh, but you guys chose to be here this morning. So thank you all so much for being here. We are. I am so honored that you guys showed up this morning, and I'm so blessed to be up here. So thank y'all. Um, but I just want to go ahead and jump into the message. I don't want to take up too much of y'all's time this morning because uh, I know the lake's waiting, brunch is waiting, the buffet. We got to beat the Baptists to the buffet this morning, right? Amen. Well, I want to go ahead and just jump right into it. So as I said, I did an internship down in Texas. Uh, Gosh, it probably would have been three years ago now. Yeah, 2023. I left in 2020. Four, three or four years ago, I went down to Texas and I started an internship at the Hilton Ranch. I was interning under Jack Lawson, their worship leader. And through that whole time that I was interning down there, I was dating Lacey. And we had a long distance relationship for just about a year and a half, which was awful. (laughs) Just being straight up honest and for real. It was terrible, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because I think we started off in a really good place and learned really, really good communication. But during the time that I was down there, I spent more time talking to her. We would go and visit each other. She was in Arizona and back home in Colorado, and I was in Texas. So the whole time, we were thousands of miles away from each other. So it was a little difficult to get around and see each other. Plane tickets from Denver to Houston cost an arm and a leg, and then Phoenix to Houston cost just about the same. Not quite a whole arm. They would let you keep some of it. (laughs) But we, throughout the process of long-distance dating, I decided that I wanted to marry this girl because she was just everything that I could have asked and prayed for in a wife. So that's what I did. I started saving up money to buy an engagement ring, feeding bulls, doing little jobs around on the side, and I finally saved up enough money. So I got her a ring and I had set up our engagement all behind the scenes. I love to tell this story because I'm I'm super smart in this story. <clears throat> I set up yeah, in the story. Not in actual life, but in the story I am. No, uh I set up the whole engagement behind the scenes. And then I had Lacey Invite me to her own engagement that I had already planned. That she didn't know that I planned, but I planned. Logic. (laughs) So we come back home. It's Thanksgiving break of 2020. And I uh, got engaged to her. The story of it is that she was taking family photos slash senior photos. And I went over to her. And I acted like I was fixing her hair because it was out of place, which wasn't true. It was perfectly in place, but I just was messing around, moving it. And I said, all right, you look good. She did look good. I mean, your hair's fixed. That's what I meant. And I backed up, and I got down on one knee, and she turns around, and she looks, and she goes, no way. I didn't know how to take that. I was like, well, what does that mean? Is that your answer? There's no way. Like, that's how emphatic you are about it. There's no way I won't marry you. <laughs> but thankfully, we got a couple sentences later. I actually asked a question, and she said yes, so thank God for that. <laughs> so we got engaged. We spent the rest of Thanksgiving break together, and it was amazing to spend that time engaged together around our families, because we were just riding this high, basically. And... Unfortunately, at the end of Thanksgiving break, we had to go our separate ways. I had to finish my internship in Texas, and she had to go finish schooling. And that, I would not recommend getting engaged and going back to long distance. That's not fun, just so that everybody knows. I've been there, done that. Don't do it. Get engaged and stay in the same vicinity as one another, (laughs) where it's an easy drive to get to each other. So we go our separate ways, and for about two weeks that we're Doing long distance, everything goes good And then I'm FaceTiming Lacey one night And she goes, I'm, I'm starting to hurt I said, what do you mean? Are you like sore? Are you like, did you work out or something? Or did you tweak something? She said, no, I'm just hurting My joints, my my legs, my arms, my hands My feet are hurting I just don't know what's going on So... We kinda kinda just chalked it up to maybe she was sore. She had been sick a couple couple days before that, so we kinda chalked it up. Maybe she's just getting achy. Maybe the the infection's leaving her body. So a couple days go by. i I was asked to preach at DCC and uh the night that I was ministering, I get off of stage, everybody's telling me that I did good, you know, carrying on conversation, and I had left my phone in the back room. So I go back to get my phone and there is a text on there from my mother-in-law, Miss Kathy. She said they had to take Lacey to the emergency room tonight. And I, you know, I started freaking out a little bit. As one would do whenever you're told your fiancé's in the hospital. (laughs) Or at least I hope you would freak out. (laughs) No, I started freaking out a little bit and I... I called Lacey and I, or it was either Lacey or Kathy, one of the two. And I said, what's going on? Like, I, I, I don't know what, what do you need from me? And she, one of them said, they, they don't know exactly what's going on. We, we just, Lacey can't walk. She tried to walk downstairs and it was bothering her so bad. She was in tears trying to even get down the stairs. So we, we didn't know what to do. And I I remember I asked Josh and Keisha I asked David and Wendy, Caleb and Kelsey Jack and Haley I said, I don't know I may need to to leave a little bit early Is that okay? And they were so gracious to me They said, yeah, do whatever you need to do Your family comes first We understand that you just got engaged Do whatever you need to do So I would planned to leave A few days from that point And I'm outside feeding bulls one morning And I can smell everything I can smell the the cow poop, I can smell the feed, I can smell the humidity in the air because it's Houston and it's thick and you can just feel it, you can smell it. And then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, or shall I say a sniff of the nostrils, all that smell was gone. I was like, oh no, this is 2020. You know what that means. You got down with the COVID, followed by 19 at the end. So I went and got tested and sure enough I had COVID and the, the quarantine time at that point was seven to 10 days. So my plan to go to, go to Arizona to see Lacey and be with her, I was like, well now, now what? Now what do I do? I just gotta sit here in my room. Just sit. Nothing. Can't do anything. I can't even go get Sonic. <laughs> I just gotta sit. So that's what I did. I had to sit. And I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to do for Lacey. I was in such a helpless situation because I was like, I can't do anything. Even if I was there, what could I do? Nothing. Still. But then I remembered that I still had prayer. So I began to pray for my future wife. I began to pray for my fiance began to pray that God would heal her and that He would do a miraculous work in her, that she would be better. That, that she, they would give the uh, that He would give the doctors wisdom uh, into what's going on inside of her body. Well, long and the short of it, Lacey got better. Obviously, she's sitting right here. She still experiences some some pain every now and again, but it's less and less each each day, and it's not near as serious. She can walk. She's got full range of motion. Praise God and. God performed a miracle in, here, in her because we came back and we took her to another doctor and they said that her levels, I don't know exactly what had happened. They think it was long-term COVID symptoms, I guess. But they said that her levels were so bad that she could have had a stroke and died. But she didn't because God worked an amazing miracle on the inside of her. Amen. Stop, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> but in that time, I was just waiting And I didn't have anything else to do but just pray. That's all I could do is just pray. But in that time of prayer, what did I have to stand on? Of course I had scripture, I had things like Isaiah 53 and Psalms, um, two, or First Peter 2.24 that says by his wounds, by his stripes we are healed. I had Psalms 41.3 in my head that was saying that he will restore them back to their full health while they're on their sick beds. I had those scriptures, or scriptures like that that I had heard since I was a little kid playing in my head. I had those to stand on, but at the same time what I also had to stand on was testimony of other people. I had testimony of other people that have been sick, that are in the hospital, that they don't know if they're going to make it out of this thing alive. I had those testimonies of them being healed. And in that time of praying, in that time of waiting, I had to believe that the God who performed those miracles for those people, I had to believe that He would do it again. In the Bible... I think about the people who faced hardships, and I think about the, the, the way that they would handle those things. Of course they would seek God, but they didn't have scripture like we do. Old, or New Testament had Old Testament scriptures, but Old Testament, they were just flying by the seat of their pants on this thing. Like, they didn't have scripture to lean on. They didn't have a Bible to go read. I mean, they were just kind of doing the thing, you know? Just having to put faith in God that he would do what what he promised them. But why could they do that if they didn't have scripture? Because they had testimony. So I began to think, what are instances in the Bible where they had testimony? Where they didn't necessarily have scripture to back up what they were believing. But what places in the Bible where they leaned on testimony? Or where I think they would lean on testimony? So I thought of two things, or two four stories, two occasions, I guess. So the first story that I thought of was the parting of the Red Sea. So if you would, go to Exodus 14, and while you turn there, I'm going to get a quick drink of water, and I'm going to tell you back backstory, not at the same time. <clears throat> so in Exodus 14, where they're at at this point, they are going Two, or Moses is leading them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they are going into the desert. And they come up to the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh starts chasing them. He says, We don't want to let our slaves go, we want to go get them back because we don't feel like doing any physical labor on our own. So Pharaoh starts chasing them towards the Red Sea, and the people start freaking out. I mean, losing their marbles, freaking out, like yelling at Moses. Hey man, what's up? Why are you bringing us to this ocean, to this sea, to just get killed? And then we're going into a desert after this. If we even make it out of this, what are you doing? (laughs) I mean, they're freaking out. So Moses calls on God and God kind of gives him an answer. He says, why are you calling on me? Why don't you lead them? I've told you to. So here's what I'm going to do for you so that you can lead them. I'm not going to hold your hand through this deal. Do it. So that's where we pick up in Exodus 14. We're going to start in verse 16. It says, pick up your staff and raise your hand. This is God talking. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea. We're in verse 21 now. I'm sorry. Skip to verse 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land, so the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. So now, I want you to go to Joshua 3, and God performs just about the same exact miracle for Joshua, and it's at the Jordan River. So at this point, Moses has passed away. They are now coming out of the desert. They've wandered for 40 years, and Joshua is leading them out of the desert. And he's leading them finally into the promised land that they've been waiting for for so long. So they get there, and Joshua comes up to the Jordan River, and he's looking out across it, and it is not promising. <laughs> the promised land at that point was not super promising. <laughs> So if we would, we're going to start in verse 14. And it says, So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan River and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water moved above that point back And began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. So I think about Joshua standing on the edge of the Jordan River. Maybe he's got his feet in it. And he's standing. He's looking out across it. He's thinking to himself, how in the world are we going to get across this? To give you some context about the Jordan River, at the time of Joshua, it was said to be about a 100 feet wide and about 10 feet deep. But since it was harvest season, it was overflowing its banks, so it was even wider and it was probably even deeper. And of course, with the flooding river, it's moving a whole heck of a lot quicker also. And there's probably stuff underneath the surface of the water that is moving just as fast as the current is. And I just see Joshua standing at the edge of the river and he's going, holy smokes, how are we going to get across this? How many people am I going to lose? How many resources? How many cattle am I going to lose at this crossing? I'm supposed to lead these people into the promised land, but some of them after crossing this river won't even see it. What am I going to do? And what I think happens is that Joshua is taken back in the middle of his thought process. He's taken back to the Red Sea, and he's watching Moses, and Moses stretches out his hand over the Red Sea, and it parts for Moses. And I think Joshua is standing there, and he goes, You know what, God? You did it once for Moses, and I believe that you can do it again for me. I believe you can do it again for me. So I think that Joshua is standing there and he's reminded of the testimony of Moses. What he saw firsthand account of, what he's heard multiple times from stories of Moses parting the Red Sea because God helped him part the Red Sea. And what I imagine is that Joshua is standing there and he says, my God can do it again. Another instance that I think of is the sun standing still for Joshua. So if you would go go a couple chapters ahead to Joshua 10 and we'll start in verse 12. In Joshua 10:12 they're in battle with the who is it? the Amorites. And they're needing some 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 victory over the Amorites. So this is where we pick up. In verse 12, it says, On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jasher? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. That's a pretty big one. Rhett, you mean to tell me that God did that a second time? Not exactly make it stay in place a second time, but he altered time for somebody. If you would, go to 2 Kings, and we'll start in chapter 20. So the context for this verse where we're at now, Israel is now established as a nation, and they are, I think Hezekiah was their third, fourth king, or something like that. So Hezekiah is now ruling over the nation of Israel, And Hezekiah gets sick. Like, bad kind of sick. He's in a bad way. So Hezekiah is kind of wondering what's going to happen to him. And the prophet Isaiah comes to Hezekiah. And he says, hey man, get your things in order because you're going to die. And leaves. Legit, if you read... In 2 in, in, in Kings, before this, he legit walks in and goes, Hey, Hezekiah, get your stuff in order because you're going to die. And he just walks out of the room. <laughs> Pastors sure know how to deliver a message real good, don't they? <laughs> so Hezekiah, of course, whenever he is told this news, as most anybody would, he doesn't handle it very well. He starts crying out to God and he says, Please, please, please don't let me die. I, I, I'm not ready to die. Don't let me die. And God hears Hezekiah's cries. And he stops Isaiah in the courtyard. And he tells him, go back. Tell Hezekiah that I've changed his fate, essentially. He said, tell him that I'm going to heal him. Tell him that I'm going to extend his life. And tell him that I'm going to deliver him from the Assyrian army. So Isaiah goes back. He tells Hezekiah all these things. And that's where we pick up in verse 8 of Second Kings 20 says, meanwhile, Hezekiah had said to Isaiah, what sign will the Lord give to prove that he will heal me and that I will go to the temple of the Lord three days from now? Isaiah replied, this is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he promised. Would you like the shadow on the sundial to go forward ten steps or backward ten steps? And I love Hezekiah's faith right here. Because he says the shadow always moves forward. So that would be easy. Make it go backward ten steps. So Isaiah the prophet asked the Lord to do this, and he caused the shadow to move step ten steps backward on the sundial they has. I like to think that Hezekiah once again was in this place where he's like, you know what? God made the sun stand still for Joshua for a whole day. My God can make time move backwards just a little bit. I believe he can do it again. I believe in Joshua's testimony. Therefore, I believe that my God can do it again. Joshua and Hezekiah faced some pretty big things. Joshua had to lead a whole nation across a overflowed, deep, raging river. Meanwhile, Hezekiah faced death but they didn't let their circumstances squander their faith in what their God could do. Amen? Instead, Joshua and Hezekiah took their circumstances and they used it to say, if God did it once, he can do it again. My God's not limited to just one miracle. My God is not limited whatsoever. Therefore, I believe he can do it again. I believe that we need to have the same mentality as Joshua and Hezekiah That we can't be afraid to say big prayers. We can't be afraid to ask for big miracles. We need to lean on scripture and testimony. We need to lean on those two things. Because those are where God's promises and his answers to those promises lie. And whenever we go to those scriptures and testimonies, what it shows us is that the world's impossibilities do not outweigh the possibilities of our God. Amen? Amen. God sees our impossible, He sees our incurable, He sees our unrecoverable, and He says, watch what I can do with this. Watch what I can do with that. Our scriptures are important to lean on. They're important to go back to, to read, to stand on them, because those are the promises that God has given us. Amen? But what's also important for us to lean on is testimony. Because testimony is proof that God's promises are what they are. They're proof that God is good on His word. We have to believe Him anyways. That's what we're called to do is believe the promises of God. But whenever we hear testimonies, it makes it real to us. Right? Right. Testimony is encouraging. Testimony is a beacon of hope testimony is a light in a time of darkness where you can't see a single thing around you but that testimony is out in the distance saying hey look over here don't look at the darkness that's surrounding you don't look at the problem now look at the promise that God has in the promise that he has answered for us as Christians when we hear the testimony of a miracle, it breathes a new life into those promises from God. What's important to know is that the miracle is important, but the testimony that goes with the miracle is just as important. Because the testimony, like I said, for us as Christians, it gives us an encouragement, it gives us a new breath of fresh air into those promises that God has for us. It makes those real. But also, whenever other people hear your testimony, whenever uh, people who aren't Christians hear your testimony, what it could do is it could give them that extra little push to seek Jesus in those answers and those questions that they have. I don't know how many people have miraculous things happen to them on a daily basis that aren't. Christians. I mean, that's a pretty, that's like a special thing that we get to pray for, that we get to intercede for other people. And I think that whenever people who aren't Christians see those things happen to us, see the healings that take place, see limbs grow back, seeing things that should not happen, seeing cancer turned into a baby, that testimony is straight out of this church. The same family, I'm not gonna name who it is, but that same family was said that the, they were pregnant again, but the, the, the baby was not gonna be able to make it because the placenta wasn't right. That it was too, it was too thick or something. It wasn't habitable for a baby. But what happened? God took that and He said, watch what I can do with this situation right here. And this family just had another baby. Not too long ago. He took a testimony of two babies and He said, watch this. I know for C. Dove and Cursey with Titus. I mean, those testimonies, those are something to stand on. Those testimonies, doctors saw Titus and they said, this baby is a miracle. There's no other way to describe it. It's not medically feasible for this baby to be here right now. But here he is. He's healthy. He's walking. He is breathing. He is such a happy kid too. He's here because God performed a miracle In him. He's a testimony. And for doctors who have a medical degree that will try and figure out any kind of medical explanation for that, they said, this kid's a miracle. (laughs) You don't know, man. This kid's a miracle. That's what your testimony can do for somebody who doesn't even believe in God. Say, I have no idea how, but all we can say is it's a miracle. What I think of whenever I say that statement, if you would, go to Luke 7. What I think of is this story in Luke 7. Whenever Jesus, he's right at the very beginning of his ministry, his three and a half years of ministry, but Jesus is starting to kind of make a name for himself. Unintentionally, He, the the scripture says that he didn't come here to be served, but to serve. But Jesus starts making a name for himself unintentionally. And... At this point, Jesus has healed lepers, he's healed body deformities, he has healed uh, people who are, he's cast out demons from people, I mean, he's just doing all sorts of stuff and Jesus is starting to get some circulation of his name. And one day, this guy comes to Jesus, I'm not going to read this, but I'm going to act it out instead because I feel like I could be a Hollywood actor. I'm kidding, I can't. But I imagine the interaction went something like this. Let me get in character really quick. Imagine this guy running up to Jesus and I mean, he is hoofing it just and he finally gets to Jesus and he goes Jesus Hold on one hey. hey Jesus Listen man I actually made myself out of breath a little bit. <laughs> Jesus, listen, man. Hey, we've been hearing about you, man. I'm a big fan. Jesus, you're doing awesome. You're doing great. Hey, uh, I'm here because my boss sent me. You know, well, he's he's my master. He he's a he's a Roman guard. You know, one of the guys with the cool hats with the feathers on him. You know those guys. Yeah, you know the guy. Uh, well, anyways, he sent me here because, well, you know, my 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 my, my friend uh one of his other servants he's actually sick and you know he's not doing too hot actually he's really not doing good at all he if you don't if if, if nothing happens you know he's going to die so, uh, Jesus, you know what, I, I, my master sent me here, would you please come heal him? You know what, this guy is actually, this is true story, this is in scripture, the guy starts to bribe Jesus a little bit. He says, you know, this guy, is. he's a really good guy, he's done lots of works in the temple, he's worked on temples, he's built them, he's, I mean, he's a real good guy. Can you just like, you know, you know, do something for him, please? So Jesus says, all right, let's go. I'm sure that he didn't say it like that. But if I heard somebody babbling on like that, like y'all just had to listen to me, I would be like, you know what, dude, (laughs) shut your mouth. Let's go. Okay, I get it. Let's go. So Jesus goes with them, and that's where we pick up in Luke 7, verse 6. And it says, So Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have the, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, and come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And and when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Just a real quick side note, if Jesus turned... Imagine that you're following Jesus for weeks, days at this point. And Jesus turns around and looks at you, and you've been following him. You've been sitting. You've been writing on your notepad. You've been taking down all of the things that he said. And he goes, I haven't seen faith like this, guys. I turn around to the guy next to me, and I go, he's talking about you. I just haven't got a chance to demonstrate my faith at this point. He's talking about you. You need to work on that. God bless you, brother. <laughs> no, it makes me think, why did that Roman officer have the faith to say, all you need to do is speak it? And I believe it'll happen. Well, like I said, Jesus is starting to get a name for himself at this point. So I think that this Roman officer has seen people that were healed by Jesus. Hey, isn't that little Johnny with the bum leg? Yeah, but this guy named Jesus came over and just prayed over him and he's healed. He's running around now with the other kids. Hey, weren't you supposed to die? Didn't you have that disease of blood? Yeah, But Jesus, all I had to do was touch the hem of his garment and he healed me. I believe that this Roman officer was hearing these stories, that he was hearing these first-hand accounts of people with testimonies that said, Jesus healed me. He healed me. I wasn't supposed to live to see today, but Jesus healed me. Believe it or not. And I believe that this guy heard these stories and this guy... Being a Roman officer, I would bet dollars to donuts that this guy probably did not believe in the Hebrew God. He didn't believe in the God that we had. He probably believed in Roman gods. He probably tried to do everything that he could to heal this guy with healers and and, and all these people that were like, Hey, if you pray to pray to this God, it should work. You know, that's the God of health. Should work. But nothing would work, nothing would happen, nothing would heal this guy. And I believe that he said, you know what, I'm hearing these first hand accounts of this guy Jesus and I'm actually seeing these people that are healed, so I'm going to put my faith in who he is and I'm going to say that he has the power to heal my slave, my friend that is not doing too hot right now. I believe that this guy Jesus can heal him. That's the power of testimony. For somebody who doesn't even believe in God to say, you know what? I am at the, I'm at a loss right now. And I have nowhere else to turn except for Jesus. That's all I got. It's my last hope is to turn to Jesus. That's what your testimony can do. Your testimony can give that encouragement. It can give that hope to somebody who's ran out of hope. That's what your testimony can do. So I want you to just indulge with me for just a second. If you would, I want you to imagine something with me. And I want you to close your eyes. I want you to play a movie in your head. And I want you to imagine that you're in... Joshua's place you're standing on the banks of the Jordan River you're standing there you're just a little ways in the water maybe up to the middle of your calf and it's a little chilly but that water is moving fast just imagine you feel the current you feel how strong it is and you're in the water where you should be standing on dry ground. You're in this place where you're like this is not normal. You're in a place where you're thinking holy smokes how am I going to get across here? How am I going to get across here? That's all you can think about is how am I going to get across here? So keep your eyes closed. And what I want you to think about is I want you to put a name to that river. What are you believing God for? Is it in your finances? Is it freedom from addiction? Is it for your marriage? Is it in health? Whatever you're believing God for that seems absolutely impossible to cross, what are you believing Him for? And I want you to put that name on that river say blank river don't say it out loud don't say it out loud just in your head blank river and I want you to go back to the place where Joshua is in and I want you to be looking at this river that you're imagining you feel how strong it is you feel the cold water rushing past you i want you to think what's your moses at the red sea moment what is the testimony that you're leaning on what's the testimony that you look back on and you say god if you did it for them i believe you can do it for me what's that testimony what's the scripture that you're leaning on What is your Moses coming to the Red Sea moment? So, I can open your eyes. Did you did you see it? Did you feel it? Did you feel the cold rushing past? Are you concerned? that your river is too big or too small because I'll tell you one thing no river is too big or too small for God if God can part a sea He can part an ocean I believe if He can part a a little river I think that our God is absolutely limitless think he can do whatever he wants to do so when you're imagining that river and if you think oh it's too small the bible tells us that god cares for the sparrows he cares for the lilies of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow so how much more does he care about you your river's not too little your river sure is not too big Maybe you're in this place where you think, I have tried to cross this river so many times, and each time I get out there to the middle and I fail, I have to swim back to the other side. Isn't God tired of hearing me cry out on this thing that I can't get over? Isn't he tired of helping me by now? He's not. All that he wants is to see you get to the other side. It doesn't matter the size of the body of water that you're facing. All that matters is the miracle that takes place at that body of water. What's important also is that whenever you get to the other side, it's not if, it's when. When you get to the other side of that body of water, make sure that your testimony is heard. Your testimony is so important. Your testimony is what somebody else is going to stand on. Your testimony is what could give somebody that extra little push say you know what I'm going to start seeking God I'm going to start seeking for answers in God now that's how powerful your testimony is people stand on stuff like that if you're in here and you think I don't have a testimony what do I even got I mean life's good right now What testimonies do I have? I haven't faced any hardships. Let me tell you, whenever you came to Christ, you were guaranteed a testimony then. Because you coming to Christ is a miracle in and of itself. Because you saved your you saved your soul from an eternity away from Him, departed from God, the person who created you, the person who loves you so fiercely you change your destiny from an eternity separated from that and you instead said god take this take my life i want to be with you forever that's a miracle in and of itself and if you're in this place and you say i do have a testimony but i don't know if it's even significant enough to t- to talk about let me tell you that's a lie <laughs> Your testimony is so important And I don't know if it was a person that told you this Or if it was the enemy that convinced you That your testimony is not good enough to, to talk about Because it's a lie Point blank period, it's a lie Because your testimony is a story that God has given you That God has set aside specifically for you For somebody else to hear For you to tell about it For you to talk about it And for you to use that as your ministry God gave you a testimony. He gave you a unique testimony that people need to hear. He didn't put you on this earth for no reason at all. He didn't put you on this earth just to wander around, accept Jesus as Lord one day, and just keep walking around. And for you to be lied to your entire life saying my testimony is not important I wasn't strung out on drugs I wasn't addicted to alcohol why would somebody want to hear my testimony let me tell you I thought that for a long time I'm like I'm a pastor's kid I was saved whenever I was little (laughs) what testimony do I got people don't want to hear that who can relate to that? I grew up in a Christian household. I was a Christian all my life. And now I'm preaching in church. Woohoo! Well, let me tell you, Jesus has given me multiple testimonies. Like my wife. Because I believe that God could heal her. Don't let the enemy squander your testimony and let don't let him tell you that it's a lot smaller than it is because to somebody that's everything. Even if you have the most plain Jane, what you think is most plain Jane testimony, somebody could be going through that. Somebody could be saying life's good right now, but something's missing. It could be God that they're missing and your testimony is what changes it. A testimony is so important. It breaks my heart whenever people say that I don't think it's significant enough because God has done something amazing in each and every one of us and he's given us all a testimony that needs to be heard. It breaks my heart whenever people say that God's story for them isn't good enough. I was guilty of it. I was guilty of it, and I regret ever saying that God, your story for me isn't good enough. So don't let the enemy lie to you. You got something important on the inside of you that people need to hear. People need to experience it. Amen. Say, I got a story. it's worth hearing because God gave it to me mean it I got a story that God gave to me I got a story amen let's go ahead and pray real quick and then we'll get you out of here thank you Jesus dear Father God thank you so much for giving us a story thank you so much for giving us a story that is unique to us thank you Jesus if you're in this place and you say I don't have a testimony because I haven't come to Jesus yet but I know that Jesus has done miraculous things for those around me and possibly even in my life you're in that place and you want that testimony of coming to Jesus you want your unique story to be started I encourage you to just slip your hand up all eyes are closed right? good all eyes are closed just I encourage you to slip your hand up I'm the only one looking just slip your hand up real real quietly You don't have to do anything, I'm not gonna make you come to the front or anything like that. But take that first step. If you're in this place and you say, I did have a testimony, but I want to add to it. I wanna add to the goodness that God has showed me. I wanna add to what God has done in my life and I wanna come back to Him again. If that's you, I encourage you to raise your hand as well. Eyes are still closed. I'm the only one that's looking. Gotcha, 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 Praise Jesus, gotcha, gotcha. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Man, there's hands everywhere. That's so cool. Testimony's growing. Amen. Amen. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Right now, I want to encourage you to just start, start praising him. Just be in this place of thanksgiving. Start praising him. Just telling him, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good to us. God, you're so good. Thank you for giving us a testimony. Thank you for giving us a story. God, you're so good. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.